Welcome to the Africa Legal Podcast Series. My name is Carol Campbell, and today I will be speaking to the Lagos-based team from DOA Law Firm. DOA stands for Duali, Ovia, and Alex Adedipe. DOA is a bespoke commercial law firm offering a wide range of expert legal services to both local and international clients. With us today for the podcast are some of the firm's partners, and I'd like to ask Soibi Ovia to make the introductions. Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Soibi Ovia, and I'm happy to have with me here my partners, Nimi um, Dwali and Shea Ainla. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. This is lovely to have you. Well, let's kick off. We'll start with Shay. Uh, Shay, the firm has co-authored a very useful guide on what COVID-19 means for African startups. Uh, we're going to provide a link to this in the podcast description below. What is your key advice to African startups? Is it a matter of embracing the time as an opportunity or simply battening down the hatches and surviving? Um, I think it's a... Uh... Depending on um, the business model you adopt and the nature of business in which you are in, um, involved in, it will be it can be, be a bit of both, but and it depends on your reality again. So, from our experience, we found particular some startup businesses that are involved in the very essential services, i.e., transportation and logistics. Those businesses have seen a stream where they've been able to actually see the COVID pandemic as a, as an opportunity. And they've been able to leverage on technology and the other um, deficiencies in the other part of the economy. And they've been able to thrive quite well. So for them, we might experience a surge or improvement in their cash flow. However, for others, it's a matter of them maybe being uh, realistic in terms of in terms of forecast. Now, the reality and some commentators have said that the pandemic, will, the economic effect of the pandemic will span towards the mid of next year or early next year. So it's a matter for them to be realistic in terms of their projections and their cash flow. And it's such that we may have a situation whereby we've been able to um, tell um, uh, our clients um, to be wary of raising um, investments in terms of um, foreign denominated investments, maybe denominated in dollars, euros, or pounds, because mm -hmm. the um, pandemic has not had just the um, economic effect, but in terms of uh, uh, the valuation of the Naira, it keeps, it, it's quite volatile. So if you are a startup in Nigeria, Nigeria, raising your cash flow in Naira and you have obligations to your investors denominated in dollars or in pounds, you might have a situation of a currency mismatch and which may actually trigger some ground for default or even um, breaking your contracts. So it's quite important that they are realistic with their investments, the cash flows and their and uh, maybe make the best they, are, they can as to maybe reduce operating costs for now. But for other businesses who have been able to actually um, see the um, pandemic as an opportunity, particularly businesses in the, in the food space, essential services, there might be a greater improvement. Nonetheless, they still need to be shrewd and be, um, of the, uh, and be realistic in terms of um, business performance. You last spoke with Africa Legal back in April, and a lot has changed since then. We discussed the firm's specialism in advising young African startups, but what are the current realities these businesses are facing? Are they weathering the COVID storm? 
To be honest, a lot has indeed changed, especially with COVID-19 and its impact. All part of the society has actually been affected, to be honest. Um, I think that the startups have actually had to adapt. And in adapting, I mean, you find that the ones that are more passionate and fearless in executing on their strategies are actually doing okay. What do I mean by that? I mean, COVID-19 is not something anybody has, I mean, is, has ever, anybody ever thought about, right? So we had, we have had different companies who were even at different um, start, uh, points of fundraising. Part of some of them raised money and whilst they were, while some were unable to raise because of COVID, I mean, they've been able to look inward and basically, I mean, and not doing too badly. I mean, yes, I mean, it would have been good if they were able to close on their funding, but they weren't able to do that. So they're, they're actually not doing badly. Um, so what do I mean? I'm saying that the current reality is that you cannot continue doing business as usual. You just have to rejig, you have to readapt, and then you have to refocus. And in refocusing, you 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 have to re-strategize. So a lot of them who have actually done that, who have you know looked inwards, um, revised their budgets, um, um, reduced their expenses, they they definitely will survive. Um, but I, I think more fundam fundamentally, I, the challenge that a lot of the startups are facing is more of the inconsistencies of the government policies which continue to be skewed and are more in favor of situations where people would be um, unjustly or they will unjustly enrich themselves. What do I mean by that? So there have been interventionist programs. These interventionist programs have not been transparent. And because they are not transparent, what you find is where government says that they want to do certain things, you find that um, even when it's well thought out, the process does not help the entrepreneur. And if it does not help the entrepreneur, we're really back at zero. So again, we know that the SMEs are the lifeline of the economy, but the government is not certain about what they want to do. Today, they say that, oh yes, I'll give you an, a, a very good example. Um, Recently, um, the NIPOS came out to say that there's going to be, they're going to regulate um, courier companies. And they come out to say that um, the amounts that they need to register with them is, I think I think they said 20 million. And, you know, how many entrepreneurs, how many SMEs can actually afford to register? And then the next day, the minister comes out to say, or two days after, say that, no, that um, they, sh they shouldn't go ahead with it, that he's not approved. And then you wonder that, don't they think about these things and the effect on the economy before they actually come out with these policies? You know, it's... I really wonder where we're going. The government has not helped us. They would not help us. But if they are not going to encourage commerce, they should not stifle it. You know, I mean, that, that's really my view. Thank you so much. That's really interesting. Now, to move on to technology... Soibi, with you first having come to Africa Legal's attention by your speaking at the Legal Innovation and Tech Fest in Johannesburg last year, we're aware that technology has always played a central role to the firm's growth and success. But just how vital has this previous commitment to technology 
being for the firm's continued ability to deliver for your clients during COVID? Yeah, so, um, I mean, you are right that um, as a firm, DOE had um, adopted uh, technology as its silent partner. In fact, we pride ourselves in the fact that um, two of our core values, two of our core values are innovation and uh, responsiveness. And for us, innovation basically means that um, we would leverage on modern technology and legal technology for internal processes and also to ensure that um, we had optimum um, service delivery to our, to our clients using technology. And so what this meant at the COVID-19 time is that um, we found ourselves being strategically positioned to, to face the uncertainties that came up with, um, with COVID-19. What that meant was that um, our internal processes were intact, we adopted um, the, the proper technology to ensure that we, we stayed responsive through the lockdown period. Now, um, initially, there was a bit of a challenge for us prior to COVID-19 because we found ourselves in an ecosystem where um, the stakeholders, the, the regulators, the, the justice system had not fully adopted modern technology in their process lines, right? But um, the beauty or the opportunity that we have seen and we have also leveraged on through the COVID-19 pandemic is that um, these NDAs and the, the justice system and the regulators have been forced to adopt the new normal, which is basically adopting technology and using technology to um, um, do your daily work. Um, now, what this meant for us at DOE was, was it, it, it was basically a seamless a seamless process for us to take take on clients' instructions, deal with clients' instructions, and deliver on time using the technology that we had already set up as a firm. Another opportunity that has come out from the COVID-19 pandemic for us here in Nigeria is that, um, especially when it relates to dispute resolution, the justice system, Nigerian justice system, the courts have now understood the importance of going remote, going virtual. In fact, just recently, earlier on this week, um, the Supreme Court, which is the apex court of Nigeria, has um, put a stamp of uh, constitutionality to remote hearings because there was a major debate as to whether the current constitution of Nigeria allowed for remote hearings. And this is a very, very, very bold and good step for us because it just shows that um, the future is the way. We, we, there, there's no option for us as Nigerians. There's no option for us as humans. Uh, we have to embrace the technology, leverage on it, and um, ensure that we stay abreast. Ah, the challenges and frustrations of technology. Huh? Uh, let's go back to Shay. And looking to the future now, albeit delayed, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement continues its march to enactment. Shay, what do you as a firm see as the main opportunities to be created by this Pan-African initiative for your clients? And on the flip side, do you foresee any risk? Um, I think uh, to answer this question, I'll maybe take a, a while back. So um, there, we stumbled in an article some decades or a dec about a decade ago, the Time, um, Time Magazine article, and it was the postulation in the article was that you will find in the next, in a couple of years, um, 
African um, conglomerates, which will be um, African um, national, African corporates that will start having footprints all over Africa. So what you'll find is a particular um, large corporate in Nigeria having subsidiaries in other parts of Africa. We find examples of that with the likes of Dangote and the others. I believe the sign of the free trade um, agreement is a very, very good step in that direction, in the fact that it will give an opportunity for Nigerian corporates who are, who are actually established to start having footprints across the continent. Because when you take down the barriers for free movement of people, capital, and goods, it gives them that opportunity to leverage and not just become a national champion, but to become also a continental champion. That is a very, very good step. And for us as a law firm, um, we might, even for um, corporates outside the continent, we find that when they want to find and um, put their footprints across the continent, they start off with a foothold in established economies, i.e. South Africa, Nigeria, and to some extent, Egypt and Morocco. So for law firms and other um, advisory firms in these um, economies, it gives them an opportunity to um, play a very pivotal role in this spread of um of business opportunities. That said, I will not be fooling myself to say that it's full of opportunities. They are serious problems. Now, um, there was a report published by um, an advisory firm early, late, late last year, Coronation Capital, and another by UBA Capital. And what they found was that large corporates with large um, um, shareholding have over the years, over the last year to this year, seen a serious attrition in their in their share in the in the market shares and the reason being that the average nigerian consumer is very very price sensitive so the average nigerian consumer will will rather to look at the issues of price rather than quantity rather than quality as such they go to the competitors with the um, they can give them the lowest price possible now the research says that we will witness more of this um, attrition in their in their in their market share once the um, treaty comes into full force. Because with that other um, other other products that are cheaply produced or maybe produced with cheaper at cheaper costs and at um, a more efficient um, distribution channel, will flood the Nigerian market. And what would that mean for? Um, Nigerian corporates. That is a particular question which the Manufacturers Association have actually able to grapple with. If the borders are, are open such that there is a free flow of service and people from neighboring African countries, and if these goods can be produced and can be offered at a very um, or at a cheaper price, clearly the price sensitive Nigerian consumer will go for those products. So we may risk the possibility of seeing further loss of market share by established market um, participants in Nigeria due to the, um, the treaty. Nonetheless, let's see how it goes. And um, if um, continents like Europe could likely weather the storms in the, in the, in the beginning um, stages of the EU, I think it's just for us to learn from the lessons as to how to harmonize our, juris our jurisprudence and also our market practices to make for a single economic and prosperous African unit. Again, that speaks to understanding your market and knowing your consumer. I think many fingers have been burnt by not knowing that, but that was most insightful. Thank you very much, Shay. Moving on now, uh, and I'm not sure who of you will answer first, but you, you recently published a very insightful article, Innovate for a Green Future. Um, and again, we'll put in the link below where you look at the intersection of IP law and green business. 
do you see Africa's transition towards greener and more sustainable businesses as one which is speeding up or have recent events stifled such progress and led to a flight back to more traditional sectors such as oil and gas and mining? Prior to the prior to the pandemic, I would have said we were going towards that direction of maybe looking at a greener a greener economy, particularly the advent of fintech and technology in this space. And as we see a lot of instances where we see the development in um, in um, green technology, that green technology is becoming not as cheap as we want it to be, but it's getting cheaper. So, for instance, there's been in Lagos, there's been a, 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 a huge, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying huge, but a decent um, um, acceptance of um, um, green technology, i.e., your, 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 your solar panels or your wind. Um, so, there, there's been that. However, um, because of um, African countries, Nigeria to be precise, we are commodity based, and the more uh, the volatile the price of these commodities are, we still want to run back to those commodities as a safety. So, for instance, um, um, the volatility of the oil price in the past few months have raised a lot of questions as to whether we can still go on depending on fossil fuels. But we are not yet, as a country, put in place the necessary infrastructure to make us um, uh, a decently or largely um, Predicated or reliant on um, green um, technology for our energy source. So, to a very large extent, we can't say categorically we are there yet. But are there attempts being made in that regard? The answer is um, yes. And the market is also the capital market is coming in um, um, good in that regard. So, you have green bonds. Um, we launched at no last year or two. Uh, the capital markets witnessed uh, one or two um, green bonds for green technologies. You have um, committees being set up to actually give investment to um, green technologies. So that is ongoing. But what we really need is the, um, the, the, the policy direction from the, from the federal to every strata of government actually giving a nod and giving assistance to green technology. And we need to start reducing our dependence on um, the traditional um, fossil oil and gas because Lesson we take from this past month is that the volatility there has made our economy in a very, in, put it in dire straits, so to speak. And I thought we need that as a country having that discussion as to how we can make green technology the way. And we need to also recognize the role of intellectual property. My last question is for Nyi, and this is about the upcoming NBA election results. Um, these, the, the election is imminent, and I'd just like to know, what do you see as the role of young but successful and high-growth firms such as DOA in advancing and strengthening the Nigerian legal profession, especially its younger ranks? Do you currently feel stifled or empowered by the NBA? I think the first thing is, I won't quite say that DOA is a successful firm yet, uh, because when you say successful, it means that you probably have risen to the pinnacle. I think we're, we're evolving. We continue to push boundaries to do things differently. Um, how successful how, uh, how successful we are in terms of getting that done um, will be judged maybe later on than now. Um, but, but, but yes, we, we're interested in doing things differently. And um, 
I remember we starting out the firm some years ago and like, you know what, we told ourselves that um, it cannot be business as usual. And um, in doing that, I think that um, we, we, we basically became um, a game changer in legal practice. Um, there's been a lot of new thinking adopted by, I mean, firms such as ours and the other ones who are also trying to, you know, change the face of legal practice. Um, for me, in regards to the uh, NBA elections, I, I think it's it's going to be a very interesting one. And the reason why I say that is um, we know that there are certain camps who feel that things should continue the way they are. Um, and on that basis, um, they're, they're keen on ensuring that... Um, Um, the young lawyers, the way young lawyers have canvassed and have protested and have um, pushed that things be changed in terms of how their welfare is concerned, how the MBA is being run, how people are included in uh, pushing the boundaries of legal practice. It's a lot a lot of our senior colleagues are not they're not interested in doing that i won't say they're not interested and i won't say it's from a personal perspective but i'll say that sometimes if you're profiting from or you're happy about how things are you really don't want um a status quo change um essentially what i'll say is that the young lawyers are must be taken care of um you know every year we have five thousand lawyers who are called to the bar um over five thousand you know it, it's important that um they're empowered i think that there has to be a lot of capacity building um i think that the current mba would have done a lot uh, but i think that um it's it, there was so much uh, they left a lot to be desired um but but i'm quite excited that uh, at least one of the candidates has shown that um he can lead from he, he he can lead um i'm not saying that the other candidates cannot but i'm saying that one of the candidates i've seen that in terms of his pedigree in terms of his experience and in terms of um being compassionate and being understanding where the bar should be headed to i think that he has he has he has a grip on that and um whether he wins or not i mean that's another case but again i think that it's it's time to support people who want to do things differently um in in supporting them with the shown capacity um we know that um they will deliver and then you know it's the the only challenge that might be will be whether everybody believes that they can deliver. But I think that um, at the end of the day, um, the the lawyers will see and will elect who they think is best for the role. And um, and I'm certain that um, the one who has the young lawyers in mind will basically carry the day. What a discussion. And thank you so much to the team at DOA. Today, you've been listening to an Africa Legal podcast. 
with me, Carol Campbell, speaking to the team from DOA in Lagos. To find out more, visit the Africa Legal website or follow us on social media. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.